Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. If you tuned into church last week, you would know that we kicked off a series, and it's our fire series, which is going right throughout the month of August. And it's a series uh, really about the Holy Spirit. And we call it you know, fire because in the Old Testament, often what happened is people would associate the presence of God with fire. And one of the things that we found out last week, which is so incredible, is that in the, in the Old Testament, there was this um, reverence and this holy awe for God. I mean, fire descended on top of Mount Sinai. We had a burning bush that burnt, but it was not consumed. It was the presence of God. And if you already tuned into last week, you would know that the people of God kept some distance between themselves and that holy fire. And what is so amazing and fantastic is that in the New Testament, one of the things we see is that God put His Spirit into His people. He filled them with His Holy Spirit. And all that power that, that they were so uh, wary of and kept distance from was the same power that began to fill uh, God's people. I think that's absolutely incredible. And I don't know if you've ever walked into a room and you just looked at people. And if you could just kind of figure out who were the people that had the Spirit of God and who didn't. Like if we just went out to the shopping center and we just walked around Eastland Shopping Center and we saw a whole bunch of people, you probably couldn't walk down, uh, you know, around the shopping center and look at people and say, hey, that guy's got the Holy Spirit. Hey, she's got the Holy Spirit. You could, you could just tell. Well, I, I don't think you, you can really because, you know, they don't, they, don't, they don't wear anything that gives them away. It's something that's just on the inside. It's something that people can't always see. It's just hard to know, right? But there are some things that kind of give it away. And as you, as you get to know people better, sometimes you do see some things that would point to the fact that the Spirit of God is actually in them. You know, I remember years ago, I was at Bible college and uh, it was probably 2005, I think around 2005, and uh, I was in a Bible college class and I was sitting next to a friend of mine. And he said to me, um, hey, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And he said, okay. And then he asked me this question. And he said, well, do you speak in tongues? And I said, I think so. And he's like, well, if you did, you should probably know. And I'm like, well, I'm not really sure. He goes, well, what do you mean you're not really sure? I said, I don't know. Like, I feel like maybe there's something there. Like I got maybe one little part of speaking in tongues and I, don't, I just really don't know if it's real. And, and just so you know something about me, Bright Church, and you probably already do, is an, I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that can fake it. I can't fake anything, right? So I, I, gotta be, I'm, I will be transparent and honest to the core. And so I'm like, yeah, I, I don't really know. He says, well, I'll tell you what, after uh, this class today, why don't we just go into the car park and, and I'll pray for you. So I don't know what people are doing in, da in Dandenong at 9.30 at night. I don't know what people get up to in Dandenong at 9.30 at night, but here... Is me and my friends, like a couple of weirdos in the, in the car park, just praying for the Holy Spirit to come. And so I, I, he, he laid hands on me and he prayed for me and I felt the presence of God come upon me and he began to speak in tongues in a way that I hadn't actually done it before. And maybe you're watching church for the first time and this is hilarious because, you know, we don't often, uh, you, you know, talk about all of this, but, but we're going to do it today. And, and so here I am and, and I'm speaking in tongues and this might sound strange to you, right? But what, what sounds weird to you is actually completely normal 2,000 years ago. 
I don't know how it sounds to you, but that was the normal experience for people that were following Jesus. That exact scenario, they, they would begin to speak in tongues. I remember at my old work, um, I, I had, you know, a bunch of people that didn't really know who God was. They didn't have a relationship with God. And as they discovered that I was a Christian, they would ask me funny things. Like they would say, hey, um, you're one of those, uh, you know, happy clappy Christians. I'm like, happy clappy? They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you're one of those, you're one of those people, right? And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know what you mean. Like, yeah, I guess we're pretty happy. And uh, do we clap? Yeah. Some of us try to keep it in beat, um, try to st stick with the, you know, timing. But, but yeah, I mean, I guess we do clap in church and we get a little bit excited about it, right? And, and they were saying it like it was something really sort of strange, you know? And I said, I think I know what you mean. Are you saying, are we Pentecostal, you know? And they're like, yeah, that's it. Are you, are you Pentecostal? I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that. Uh, that, you know, I go to a, a Pentecostal church. And then they said, oh, okay. So does that mean that you're one of those, you know, like born again people, right? And I said, well, guys, just so you know, there's only, really only one kind of Christian, uh, the born again type. I said, there's, there's no other version of this. If, if anybody's not born again, then they are not a Christian. There's one type. We, we have to go through that process. We do become spiritually born again in that way. It's just, that's, that's God's plan. And I, I discovered that God has a couple of things that He was doing 2,000 years ago that are just as relevant today as they were back then. God's plan for everyone, firstly, is to be born again. He wants people to receive the forgiveness of sins and, and to be born again, right? And then the second thing that God wants to do, and I really believe this with every believer, is to fill them with His Holy Spirit. That's God's plan. There's, there's, there's no other uh, way of getting around that. That's what He wants to do with everybody. And, and the reason that He does want to fill people with His Holy Spirit is because, well, you need it. At least you should. You should need the Holy Spirit if you're just going to live out what God has called you to live out. See, I, I, one of the things that I think is a little bit scary is that if you just, and do this for a moment, a little, little bit of homework, a little bit of exercise. If you're just to think about your life right now, think about everything that you do, and I want you to ask yourself a question, how much do you really need the Holy Spirit to continue living how you're living? Do you really need Him? Do you really need Him to do what you're already doing? Because I don't know about you, but I don't really need the Holy Spirit to get out of bed in the morning. You know, I don't really need the Holy Spirit to brush my teeth in the morning. I don't really need the Holy Spirit to uh, get in my car and go to work. I don't, I don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. And there should be some differences between the people of God and the people that don't have God. And what would be really sad is like if the people of God, if we just looked like everyone else, we don't even really need the Spirit to do anything that we're doing. And, and I believe that what needs to happen is we need to live in a space above that space. I, I really believe is that God is calling us to live above just the normal, everyday seasons of life. If you could live just how you're doing right now and do it without the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you that there's more for you this morning. And the other thing is this, is that Jesus believed evidently that it would be imperative for His believers, His disciples, 
to receive the Holy Spirit before they departed Jerusalem. He said, you're absolutely going to need this. Look at what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. He says, but you will receive power. That word power in the Greek is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. In other words, it's explosive authority and power, inherent strength, the ability to perform effectively. In other words, there is nothing that can stop you. Now that is exciting. You will be filled with a power that's so dynamite that nothing will slow you down from doing everything that God has called and asked you to do. He says you'll get the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. So those cities are like concentric circles that move their way out. I don't know what your Jerusalem is, but maybe that's your immediate vicinity. So maybe for you, what's your immediate vicinity is your family. Or maybe it's your workplace, you know. And then maybe you have relationships outside of that. I don't know what your world looks like. Maybe you, you play some kind of sport. And in your sporting club, you play footy, right? And your footy is the next concentric you know, circle out. And so you just want to carry that message out. But what Jesus was saying is that you'll need the Holy Spirit to do that. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? So what he really means is, we're going to take this message as far as we can take it. I just wanted to mention that in case there's any flat earthers out there going, ah, see, see, the end of the earth, the edge, it drops off. No, 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 no. Flat earthers, I'm so sorry. It just means we're going to take this message as far as we can, all right? He goes on to say, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So in the original sort of Greek language, when it says he was lifted up, it's written like, imagine if you're crossing a bridge over a huge, you know, chasm, ravine, and somebody fell off the bridge and disappeared into the mist. That is the, really the language. That's how they were trying to explain how Jesus left. Now, I think that's pretty cool because you know what that means? Man, that means that Jesus can fly. And it's not like I didn't already know that. I absolutely knew that because he, he can do anything, right? But the fact that they put that he could fly in the Bible is really cool. I pray for a lot of things in life. We've been fasting this week, right? One of the things that's on my list is to fly. So it's this, and this is the evidence that it's possible. So here it is. He says, he carried them out of their sight. So now in Acts 2, the Spirit of God comes and fills them. And what happens is that they become temples for the Holy Spirit. So there was this time where God was outside and he was fire and, and holy. And, the, and they kept this distance between themselves and God. I mean, talking about God's people. And then in the New Testament, he takes all of that power and he says, I'm now going to fill you with that same creative presence that breathed out stars and made the earth and descended upon Mount Sinai. And the very same spirit that spoke to Moses in the desert, now that spirit that was outside is now inside and it filled them with power. Now, what I want to tell you is that God releases his power for his purpose. He releases His power for His purpose. Remember, remember something that Jesus said? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So really, what, what's the church? Well, the church 
is his people. So let me just rephrase that. I will build my people, and that's not a thing that hell can do about it. I don't know if you've ever tried to lead somebody to Jesus, or you've tried to communicate the gospel, right? But at the end of the day, he says, there is coming a time where I will build my people and there is nothing the devil can do about it. He can't stop it. He can't slow it down. He will forge weapons, but guess what? They're not going to prosper. They're going to come against you, but they're not going to win. It's not over. It's going to keep going. I will build my church and hell will not overcome it. And you know what? It's not us that is so powerful, but it's him in us. That was the difference. That's why Jesus said, hey, you got to wait until the Holy Spirit comes before you step out and start doing ministry. You got to wait till the Holy Spirit comes before you leave Jerusalem. You're going to need that because it's not you, disciples, that's going to overcome the enemy. In fact, if you don't have the, the presence and the Spirit of God, if you aren't forgiven for your sin, there's, there's not a lot about you that's intimidating. But there's, that's Him in us that gives us the power to do what would ordinarily be impossible. I don't know if any of you have, you know, gone to the gym or have gym memberships or something like that. But, you know, if you go to the gym and you see that there are some people that just live there and I don't even know what they do for work because they're like in the gym, you know, six hours a day and, and, and they carry around like eskies in the gym, like huge eskies. They eat while they work out. There's like rice and chicken. Someone's eating broccoli in the gym. Like, who, who knows why they're doing all of it? But, you know, they're, they're trying to eat, and that's all they do, right? I, I've met some of these people, and I try to get into conversations with them. And I remember, you know, I spoke to a guy one time, and I'm like, hey, hey, what do you, what do, you do for work? And I'm thinking, this guy has got to be like, uh, I don't know, like a tradie or someone that works outside. I mean, look at all of this muscle. He's got to do something with it, right? And he's like, oh, I'm an accountant. You're like, an accountant? Really? So, like... How much do you really need to lift at work? It's like, oh, you know, just a couple boxes of reflex paper, something like that. You know, it's not hard. You just have to lift it from, from, from here to there. And I'm like, well, you know, the, like, all, this, all this crazy muscle you got is, I would say, is, is pretty much overkill for what you really need, isn't it? What, <laughs> what, why, do you, why do you have all this muscle? What's the point of, of all of this, right? And... You know, they'll, they'll, and, and you can ask, you know, bodybuilders or anyone like that. They don't actually need that. They just like to have that. It's, it's not actually necessary for anything that they do in life, but it, it just kind of feels good to be big. Kind of feels good to, to know that if ne necessary, if it really came down to it, you could bench press 150 kilos if you had to get yourself out of a jam. Now, I don't think that that situation has probably ever come up in anybody's life, right? They are overpowered for what they do for work. They are overpowered for what they really need. I, I think there are some Christians like that. That we're completely overpowered for the kind of lives that we live. We, we, we got so much more power than we actually need. Or so much more power than is probably necessary for how a lot of people are living their lives. Because you can just live your life and not see an expression of the Spirit's power because you're not living in such a way where you come out of this basic fundamental space that you could be living in, the everyday tasks and responsibilities, and you haven't stepped out of that space into a space where there is a gap so big that you absolutely need the Spirit of God to bridge it because if He didn't bridge it, you would be in so much trouble. And that is a faith 
place to live. That is a spiritual dynamic. And I really feel like God is calling. I think this is for Bright Church. That there are some people that are, that are just living in a space that's down here. I'm not, I don't say that to accuse anyone, right? But I'm saying that there's more. That there's more than just the everyday things that you're doing here. There's more than just shopping at Coles and getting home and making dinner. There's more. There's a space above that space where you need the Spirit and the presence of God. Because we don't want to just live these mundane lives where we go through everything. We're in the rhythm and routine of going to church, but never in a position to need the Spirit's power. Let me tell you something. There is a reason why Jesus said, you will need the Holy Spirit. There is a reason why He said to His disciples, wait before you go. You're going to need this Spirit to do what I've called you to do. And I'll tell you, the only people that don't need the Spirit and presence of God are the people that aren't doing ministry. Now, ministry can be done anywhere. right? So maybe it is at the shops. Maybe it is in your home. Maybe it is in the sporting club. But you don't need the Spirit's power if you're just going through the rat race. You don't need the Spirit's power if you're just in rhythm and routine. You don't, you don't need that power if you're not doing ministry. Look at the disciples, Acts 2, verse 2 to 4. It said, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty and rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all, ready for this, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So many years ago, I decided that I was going to get a credential to become a pastor in the ACC. And when you want to become a pastor and you want to get a credential through the movement, what they say is that you need to answer 12 questions, theological questions, and then they will interview you based on your responses. You've got to have some alignment with your theology. You have to know what you're talking about. And so I remember back then there was this question, and it says, is speaking in tongues the essential evidence, is it the essential evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit or being baptized in the Holy Spirit? And my answer was no. My answer was no. And the reason why is because I thought if I look at the Scriptures and I look at the times where people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's not all conclusive, right? So, so in the book of Acts, there are five times where people are baptized in the Holy Spirit, Okay. And so let me just tell you how this works. Three out of the five, as soon as they received the Holy Spirit, they immediately began to speak in tongues. So three times it was immediate and it happened. There is a fourth time where Paul the Apostle is knocked off of his horse on his way to Jerusalem to kill some Christians. And Saul really becomes Paul, not 
that that was like his new alter ego or something like that. He was actually always Saul and Paul. He had dual citizenship. But it's interesting that when they refer to him before he received Jesus, they call him Saul. And after that, they call him Paul as if something has been born again. Like there's a, there's a new season in, in Paul's life. So here's Paul and he's been blinded and a, and a man comes and prays for him. And he's right then he's filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And, and it doesn't say exactly what happened there. But if you know anything about Paul's life later on, it says that he speaks in tongues. And he said, I wish that, he, goes, he, he says that he speaks in tongues. He says, I wish everybody could speak in tongues. So we know that he absolutely did. So, so now we've got four out of five cases where, where somebody that's been baptized in the Holy Spirit, that they speak in tongues. Now there's a fifth occasion that I want to tell you about. Simon the sorcerer, this guy, Simon the sorcerer, he sees people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now it doesn't actually tell us exactly what he saw, but he saw something that made him realize that there was a difference between those that were filled with the Spirit and those that were not filled with the Spirit. It doesn't exactly clarify it, but it was something external. Now, when we're trying to understand theology, when we're trying to understand what we believe, right, you always interpret scriptures in the dark by scriptures that are in the light. So if we have two scriptures and one of them we're not really sure about, but the other one is really clear, we interpret scripture by scripture. So if we were to do that with this scenario, whatever that external sign was that he saw, and we look at the other four cases, it would be reasonable to think, I think that maybe he was seeing people speak in tongues. So anyway, that was my answer, right? So I said, no, I don't think so, because it's not necessarily conclusive in Scripture. And I cited all those examples that I just gave you, and, and I just kind of moved on. But, you know, a couple of years ago, I started doing some research on women in ministry and whether women should be able to preach in church. And, and by the way, just a little asterisk, right? Yes, I absolutely believe that. But in doing all the research, it made me read up on a couple of things that I hadn't quite read before. So I was doing this research on women in ministry and part of you know, the, the doctrine around that uh, grounded itself in the hierarchy of the Trinity of God. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we start researching the Trinity and trying to learn more and more about that. And I discovered something that I already told you about last week, if you were watching, right? I, I, I discovered something is that when the early church fathers were forming theology, they always looked at the direction of Scripture, and they believed that the direction of Scripture indicated exactly what God wanted to do or what should be made clear. Now, if we understand that to be true, then here is my point. Out of the five cases of people that speak in tongues, right? Three arrows definitely point to the immediate speaking in tongues after they received the Holy Spirit. We know that Paul spoke in tongues, absolutely, and it doesn't say that he received it immediately, but that he spoke in tongues and he was baptized in the Spirit. And we know that Simon the sorcerer, right, he saw something and we don't know what it is, but it seems plausible to say that he could have just witnessed speaking in tongues. But if I was to take all of those four points and draw arrows in the direction that they lead us, I think it would be reasonable to say that anybody that's received the Holy Spirit does speak in tongues. And what I did is I changed my mind because I understood after that how scripture was or how theology was formed. 
One of the challenges about being a senior pastor is you feel like you just have to know everything all, all at once. Well, trust me, you, you got you to read, you got to research, you got to understand. And so I changed my mind and I came to a place where I said, listen, if you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it may not happen at that exact moment, but it should eventually happen and you should eventually be speaking in tongues. To me, that just sort of made sense. By the way, just to let you know, it always happens after you've given your life to Jesus. So I want to take the moment just to explain three things about tongues because I think it's important. There are three different types of tongues. Three different types of speaking in tongues. Here's the first one. The scriptures call it other tongues. This is what we read at, at Pentecost. I just read that scripture out to you. It says that they began to speak in other tongues. Now, at this time in Jerusalem, when the Holy Spirit fell on people and they began to speak in other tongues, what that really means is other languages because they had, it was a festival. There was people from all over the place that all gathered in Jerusalem. And here are 120 disciples that go out onto the streets and they begin to preach the gospel in other languages, languages they didn't know, languages that they didn't understand. And, and so they just start to speak. And, and this is not even the first time this has happened. In 1906 at Azusa Street, there was revival. It just broke out and people started to, to, to speak in other languages tongues and what that means is they started speaking full or languages full languages that they'd never learned and this is what they honestly did back in 1906 if you were like speaking in other tongues and the and the tongue was like japanese well, what they did is they took up an offering they bought you a one-way ticket and they just sent you to japan well if you're speaking japanese that must be where god's calling you off you go. Don't know if we'll ever see you again. Oh, you speak Russian? Come on, everyone. Let's take up an offering for, uh, to send this guy to, to Russia. And then they just send you to Russia. No ticket back. They just did that. So there have been times, different times in history where people have spoken in other tongues. You know, at the time when the scriptures were written, you know, the, the, the Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he says that there were 14 different languages that were spoken. There was people from everywhere and they all heard the gospel in their native tongue. So that's the first one. The second one is a prayer language, right? And Paul the Apostle, he talks about this being different to the other tongues that we just read about. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2 says, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. But uh, For no one understands him, but he utters the mysteries or mysteries in the Spirit. This is a prayer language that they haven't learned. That's not an other tongue. So it's not another language that exists somewhere. No one understands it except God. It's a prayer language reserved for you and God. And then there is a third kind of tongue. And this is the public manifestation of tongues. In other words, the gift of tongues. And you can read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, tongue, verse 10. I nearly said verse tongue. Verse 10. And, he said, and it talks about the interpretation of tongues being necessary. So when somebody has a gift of tongues, they, 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 would, they might stand up and they say something that no one understands. And then someone with the gift of the interpretation of that tongue begins to explain what it means. And they put that right next to the gift of prophecy because once that tongue has been interpreted, it's like prophecy because God is speaking to his people. And that is not the same thing as the prayer language because... They say that the only person that understands that is God. So we have three different types of speaking in tongues. And, and I, I just, let me just add something to it. When it comes to corporate worship and, and formal worship in church, Paul is really careful 
about this stuff called tongues because he thinks that their worship should be orderly. Now, the church is exclusively made up of God's people. But when we gather together, our meetings are public meetings because anyone is welcome to come along and listen to what we say. And he says, you know what? Because there are unbelievers present, just be careful about this tongues thing, okay? Because if they hear somebody stand up, you imagine if I did that, if I just stood up and I just began to, you know, speak the message in tongues. He says, you know, if you do that, they're going to think that your Happy Meal is short of cheeseburger. They're going to be like, hey, 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 this is so weird. I went into church. I don't know what that guy was speaking about. This is going to freak me out. I'm not coming back. So Paul says, man, we've got to be careful about how we use that. And so now we go, okay, cool. So there's three different types of tongues, but what is it used for? And there are two reasons. Number one, because it empowers the believer. It builds up our faith. It empowers the believer. And number two, it's a sign of power to unbelievers. It's a sign to people that don't believe. Now, I thought about this and I thought, you know, it might be a sign to unbelievers that we're insane. If we just are speaking our prayer language directly to people, they're like, I don't know what you're doing, but it's really weird, right? However, if it's the first gift that I was talking about, where you're speaking and suddenly you start speaking Arabic and it just comes out, right? That would be a sign of power. They'd be like, hey, when did you learn Arabic? And you would say, I don't know, it just comes out. They're like, who does that? No one, unless it's an act of God. And in that sense, it would absolutely be an act of God. They would have to you know, come to the point where they say, there is no way that you can just speak in another language unless God's at work within you. So it is a sign of power to people that don't believe. Remember years ago, I went on a camp with a friend of mine and uh, the, the, the movement that invited us to come, they were a very conservative movement. And they said, we want you to, you know, preach and teach and all the rest of it. But the one thing that you're not allowed to speak about is baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. I won't tell you which movement it was, but they said, you, you cannot speak about that, which was like a, you know, red flag to a bull because... My friends, the only thing that he decided to prepare for in hearing that was speaking in tongues. So he gets up and he starts to speak about speaking in tongues. And we can see that the people that organized the event all sitting at the back, arms crossed, not happy. It was hilarious. We loved it, right? And so he begins, he begins to speak. And then they get to the end of it. And he says, right, who wants to receive the Holy Spirit? And everyone comes forward. And some of the people at the back of the room, right, they were looking real awkward. But you know what? They came too. One of them came down and he's just standing there. And I went up to pray for him. I said, hey, I said, what do you want prayer for? He's fumbling around in his words. He doesn't know what he wants to say. I said, you, you want to you wanna be baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? That's why you're down here. He says, yes, yes, I do. I pray for him. He goes down. He gets up. He's speaking in tongues. And, and so that became just that the experience on that camp was that, you know, we prayed for people and we saw it as evidence. I've had people in my house where we just pray for them and lay hands on them and suddenly they begin to speak in tongues. And I'm just reminded of the scripture in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 11, where he says that God knows how to give good gifts. Of course, he'll give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for it. He knows how to give good gifts. He wants to give people the Spirit of God. Let me just say this. If you're watching this today, you are not a second-class Christian or a second-class citizen if you don't speak in tongues. So I don't want anyone to feel like that. But you know what my point is? If you can have it, why wouldn't you want it? If it's possible to have it, you should have it. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul said. See, the church is meant to be 
a dynamic movement of people that are empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit. There is a power that's there and a boldness that's there that wasn't there before. It's just what the Spirit of God does in people. In fact, one of the, one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit is fire. And, and that's meant to represent this sort of uh, power to fulfill the Great Commission. If you read the Scriptures and look at what happened to the disciples after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, 120 of them, they rush out onto the streets and now they're preaching to everyone. And this is where it gets crazy. The people that they're preaching to are the same people that were really happy to kill Jesus earlier. And now, they were there. after Jesus died, they're all locked in a room and they're all huddled and they're all afraid. But the Spirit of God comes, what happens next? They suddenly find a boldness and a courage that they never had before. The power of God was working in them. They're speaking in other tongues and the city begins to turn on its on its head because suddenly they realize who Jesus really is. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 41. Peter preaches the gospel. They hear it and they say, it says, Now when they heard Peter, oh, so now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the, the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Not, and, you know, so when you give your life to Jesus, that's salvation. And then being filled with the Spirit, it doesn't always happen together. It can happen separately, okay? So not all at the same time, but it's sequential. First, you have to give your life to Jesus. Second, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 39, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked, that means immoral, generation. So those who had received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine that? 3,000 people hear the gospel and suddenly they say, what do we, what do, we do? How, how, what do we? He says, you've got to repent. Repent means I'm going to change direction. It means I'm going to change my mind. I was headed in this way and now I've received revelation. I'm going to move in a different direction. And so they repent. They give their lives to Jesus and 3,000 people in one day say, we believe this. Why? Because they saw the power of the Holy Spirit at work. It's not just what happens outside. It's not just that they witnessed the power of the Holy Spirit as, they, as the apostles were speaking in other tongues. It wasn't just that. It's that the Spirit of God was at work in the hearts of the people that were listening to. So when you want ministry to be effective and fruitful, you need the Spirit of God preparing the people that are going to listen to what God wants to say to them through you. I hope that makes sense, right? What does the Scripture say? John 16 verse 8, it says that He comes to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So what does that mean? Well, it means that there is a conviction. They receive the, the, the gospel by revelation. And then they, what they've never understood before, suddenly they understand why. That is fruitful ministry. And the difference between trying to do it without the power of God and doing it with the power of God makes all the difference. See, you don't actually need the Holy Spirit unless you're doing ministry. You don't need the Holy Spirit. Like, if you come into church and you sit down and you just want to say a couple amens during church 
and, and, and clap your hands and sing Kumbaya, right? If you want to come in and do that, you don't need the Spirit to do any of that. You don't need the Spirit to turn up at church, sit in the aisle, or sit in the, sit in the row and, and, and just begin to worship God. You don't need the Spirit of God to do that, right? You need the Spirit of God if you're going to do ministry. I remember I was at a, at a, at a conference once, and um, all the, like the guest speakers and everyone, they were all sitting in the, in the front rows. This was a very, very vocal meeting. So they had this, this speaker, and he was you know, preaching, and the front row, man, everything that this guy said, they were just amening everything, right? Amen, amen. You know, just trying to support and encourage, right? So anyway, there's this one guy that's sitting down, and he's really loud. He's really vocal. And at the exact time, the preacher that was speaking was saying some, telling this devastating story. It was horrible, right? And everyone's sort of like a little bit like moved by this moment, right? And then this guy in the front row, as he says, as the preacher says something like just devastating, the guy in the front row, the really loud one, the vocal one, he goes, amen, right? He just calls her an amen. And then he kind of lifts his head up and everyone's looking at him and they're thinking, what the heck are you amen that for? Why did you say amen? Do you know why he did that? Because he was in the rhythm. Because he was in the routine. He shouldn't have said anything. He should have kept his mouth shut. He realized that he was just so used to amening stuff that the words were coming out of his mouth, but he wasn't even really paying attention to what was going on. And here is my point. We don't want to just look spiritual. That guy that was in church or at the conference that day, boy, did he look spiritual, right? But, but we could just come into church and sing songs and look spiritual. We can have our Bibles and keep them on our bedside table and never read them. We can stand in worship and say the words, but not mean it with the right heart. I mean, there are so many things that we can do that look spiritual. But you know what, church? God wants His people to actually be spiritual. You know what the world needs? The world needs the church to be spiritual. We need to be the people of God. We need to be who God's called us to be. Not just look the part. Not just dress up for church and go home and for the next six days just live ordinary lives where we never even need the presence of the Holy Spirit because we're living so far below that faith zone that we never even ask for Him to intervene. It's not even necessary for Him to do it, except if we get sick every now and then and we ask for the power for it to be in us personally, right? But you know what? As I start to read the Scriptures, I see that the reason why we were given the Spirit of God, the reason why people receive power, there is a purpose attached for it. And you know what that purpose is? The primary purpose? Here's a fact for you. The primary purpose is to be a witness. It's to be a witness. He said, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. He says, when He does, you will be clothed with power. The Spirit of God will come upon you and you're going to need Him to do what I'm asking you to do. He says, and then you will be my witnesses. The reason we need His power is so that we can be His witness. When people encounter the presence of God, when we begin to minister Stop living in the space that's down below, but start to reach up into a space that God has called us to. The space that God wants us to live in begins to make an impact in the lives of other people. I remember, you know, years ago, I, I used to run 
like this, I call it street teams ministry, where we'd go out into the streets and we'd just share the gospel with people. And I would try to gather people together to do it, but man, it was so hard. There was this huge resistance to it. And, and people kept telling me, it, it, oh gosh, it's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. And yeah, I guess in some ways it was hard, but you know, we were pretty bold. And the reason that we were bold is because I really believed that we had the Spirit of God that was in us. And so we'd pray beforehand, be filled with the Spirit, and go out and begin to share the gospel to anyone that would listen. You know, I think about those days and I, I think about the reason why people said it's so hard and why people just wouldn't do it. It's the same reason why people are in their workplaces and you are a professional undercover Christian. You don't tell anyone that you're a follower of Jesus. It's the same reason why everyone said it's so hard. It's this fear of rejection. Can I tell you that Jesus said, if they've rejected me, they're gonna reject you. Are you hoping that what happened to Jesus won't happen to you? See, here's what you need. You need to have your identity so grounded in the fact that you are accepted and loved by God. Your identity needs to be so deeply rooted in Christ that you can walk through rejection and be bold and, and let it be like water off a duck's back. It just rolls off. You don't even worry about it anymore. You don't, you don't worry about it. Why? Because your identity is intact. It doesn't tear you apart and it doesn't rip you apart. You're okay. You're going to be just fine, right? You know why? Because you understand something that's true. The greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. I love what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 15, verse 18 to 19. He says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me and bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Verse 19, listen to this. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to uh, Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. You see what I'm talking about? It's power for ministry. He says, I'm going to see the Spirit's power, but it's as I preach the gospel. And I think about the disciples who in that day, they were persecuted, they were threatened. And you know, before the Spirit of God came, they were just huddled in a room somewhere, afraid to be seen, afraid to be associated with Jesus. The Spirit of God comes, fills them not only with power, and they speak in tongues, but begins to fill them with boldness. And now the people that were afraid and running for their lives, they become strong and bold. In fact, there's this part in the Scriptures where He says, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants the boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel. Give us strength. And, and that's what the th they continued to do it. They kept preaching the gospel. They kept being bold in their faith. And what my point to you today is, is that if you don't have this, maybe the reason why you've been scared or intimidated or you're seeing a lack of power in your life, it could be that you're not living in the zone that requires it. Everything that you do, you could do as a non-Christian and no one would see the difference. You need to operate in another realm. If you haven't received the Holy Spirit, you can ask for it. And maybe you've asked for it before and you haven't received it, right? but you can ask again. The Scriptures say that God knows how to give good gifts. How much would He give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so once you become filled with the Spirit, then it's your responsibility to begin to witness. 
Because it's the mandate to Christians is to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. It says to preach the good news. The word preach, it means to proclaim like you're heralding. You're making an announcement to the world, letting everybody know that what? That God loves them. That He paid the penalty for them on the cross. It's the most encouraging and uplifting message you've ever heard in your life. And God gave His life for this cause. He gave His life for this mission. And He's asking you to pick up this torch and run with it. He's asking you to begin to proclaim the gospel wherever you go. So maybe what it is, is that you're still doing some of the same stuff. You still get up in the morning, you get dressed, but when you go to Coles to do your shopping, there's an opportunity there to be to, to be doing ministry, to witness about Jesus Christ. You get up in the morning and you go to work. It's just another ordinary day until God gives you a word of knowledge and you begin to speak to somebody about something that's going on in their lives. Church, listen to me. We don't want to look spiritual. All dressed up for church. Bibles by our bedside tables. The world needs you to be spiritual, not look spiritual. The world needs you to do ministry, not watch ministry. You are, you are a royal priesthood, a people that's chosen by God and called by name so that you can be a witness to the amazing message that we call the gospel. And what I want to do today is two things. The first thing is, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And then we're going to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you've never given your life to Jesus before, but today you want to be forgiven for your sins, receive the Spirit of God, then why don't we pray together? I would love to lead you in that prayer. So here's what we're going to do. If this is you, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you died on the cross for my sins. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior, and I choose to follow you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision for the very first time, there'll be a little link that comes up in the, in the chat right now. You can click on that link. Let us know who you are because that decision is connected to an entire lifestyle. We would love to help you as you navigate that space. Now, here's the second thing. I'm speaking to Christian people right now. I'm speaking to people. You don't speak in tongues. You're not sure if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But after hearing this, you say, but I want it if I can have it. And if that's you and you hear this, and if you've already given your life to Jesus, you are a candidate for receiving the Holy Spirit. I, would, I wish this was here in person so we could do what they did in the Scriptures where they laid hands on and there was an impartation. But I've been praying for you this week that for, for anyone that really wants this, that I will pray and I believe that God is where you are and He can reach you right where you are. You don't speak in tongues, you want to receive the Holy Spirit, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why don't you just right now be bold, raise your hand and say, that's me, God. Let me pray for you. Lord, for everyone who says, I, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I've been unsure about this. There's been doubts, there's been questions. I didn't know, I don't even know if I'm filled with the Spirit, but God, for everybody that's saying that right now, but yes, I want to be filled, clothed with power like the disciples were. What was normal in first century Christianity, I want it to happen for me too. I want to be filled with power. I want to be filled uh, with boldness. I pray in Jesus' name for everyone with a hand raised that Lord, even, and I'm praying supernaturally, 
through the lens today, through the camera today, right? That Lord, you begin to baptize people in the Holy Spirit, that they would receive your spirit, that they'd speak in new tongues, that you would manifest your presence in their life. Let the Spirit of God begin to fall in every living room and every lounge room, wherever you are, whenever you're watching this. I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would know that they're watching, that know that their hearts are open. And I pray you fill them afresh today. I pray, God, that they began to speak out in new tongues. Lord, move fresh in their lives. Today, God, I just pray for a fresh encounter with the presence of your Spirit. And we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.